Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. We all can't help but wonder what adventure lies just over the next ridge. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. No surprise here, but you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I would be lost without my smartphone. I use it for directions, to find things to do, and most importantly, where to eat. I rely on it as a digital music player to enhance my experience as I explore a new place. Oh, and sometimes I even use it to make calls and stuff. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are, too. That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as he typically does, unless he happens to be standing at the time, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. I sued Ben Affleck. Ah, oh, do I even need a reason? <laughs> uh, identify the source of the quote, and you get... Okay, Nothing. you don't get anything, but, you know, feel free to write in. Yes, it, it's patently absurd to suggest you would get something. Did you see what I did there? <laughs> I see what yeah, you did we're going to talk about the patent wars today. And actually, this uh, this topic comes to us courtesy of a little listener mail. This listener mail comes from Jim and Jim says, I know you did some podcasts on IP. That's intellectual property for everyone out there. But I don't remember if you did one on patents exclusively. If not, you may want to consider one. 
I'm writing this because of the past week's This American Life on NPR, When Patents Attack. It's about how patent troll companies that buy up patents with broad software coverage, such as this patent covers real-time backup of files, and then they sue any software company, large or small, that may be doing backups. You wouldn't want to retell the whole story, but the idea of patent trolling could be a part of the describing patents were you to do a podcast on them. So, yeah, we thought we'd talk a bit about patents. And before we really jump into it, I wanted to point out that at HowStuffWorks.com, we have a great article on how patents work, and it really breaks down what patents are and and their purpose. Uh, And we're going to kind of cover some of that first, I think, because that's important to understand before we go on into, you know, patent trolls and non-practicing entities and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, So, Chris, are you comfortable in telling everybody what a patent is? Well, of course, patents come off of the idea of, uh, the ability for someone to protect their work. It's sort of similar in some ways to copyright. Yeah. Um, but you know, it depends on what it is. Now, if you have a, if you've written a novel, you can't patent that. Yeah. But you can copyright it. And that's, that's a way to protect your work so that you can sell it and make some money off of it and yeah. reap the rewards for that. Patents apply to those people who are in, I, I always think of them as inventors, but it's sure. not necessarily inventors. It could be engineers or other people. Um, in this case, we'll be talking a lot about software patents. Which, by the way, before we even jump into it any further, I should point out, there yes. is no such thing as a software patent, as in it's not a yeah. separate thing. A software patent is a patent. Yes. It's just that it's a patent that that covers software, but there's no distinction between a software patent and any other type. No, 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 it's, it's not. kind of shorthand. There are people who, well, we'll get into this, there are people who believe that software should not be allowed to be patented. Yes. Should not be, you know, fall into that category. But uh, the patent, blah, 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 blah. patent. <laughs> I know, I'm going to be doing that too. Yeah. It's it's okay. Yeah. Um. So, no, a patent. Peter Piper picked a pick of patents. Yeah. Pickled patents? Perhaps. Um. So, yeah, a patent basically is is a protection uh, it's a, it's a registry yeah. for a particular type of thing. Um, and you have a to better register, mousetrap, perhaps. You register with a patent office. Yes. And this, so there's, so in, in the United States, it's the United States Patent Office. Yes, yes. And basically somebody reviews your application mm-hmm. in which you describe what it is, how it works, what the parts are, right. how it, you know, all these things. Um, and there's some really fascinating in the, uh, uh, patent files, you can look at all these different diagrams for different inventions. It's really kind of cool. But anyway, um, once a, a someone has reviewed that and says, yes, this does not work like the other ones before it, yeah, this, this completely this meets the unique. criteria that is necessary to have a patent. Yes. Yeah. Then then it can be patented. And on and that is on file uh, as part of the, the public record. Yep. And if someone makes something that looks just like the one that you invented and works the same way and tries to make money off of it, you can sue their pants off. Right. Or you can <laughs> license the patent to someone else so that they that can be, make something. That's not the way people do it. It is how some people do it. I but know. it's Yeah. Uh, software patents in particular have a, an issue with this, but we'll we'll get into that. But That's, uh, that's the idea. Is yeah, that you the can idea protect is, your work so that you may make money off of it and other people cannot take your idea and make money off of it without your permission. Exactly. So if I were to patent a, a an invention and uh, Chris wanted to be able to build that invention, uh, we might be, come to an agreement, a licensing agreement where he can use my idea and put it into reality. Because here's here's another thing about patents. You might come up with a brilliant idea, a brilliant mm-hmm. invention. 
I've known it all the time. And hey, so you come up with a brilliant invention, but you lack the resources to make that invention. You just, you, you know how to do it. You've got all the ideas in place, but you don't have the infrastructure to build this thing. Sad but true. I don't have a, uh, a manufacturing facility in my backyard. Right. So in that case, you would perhaps patent your invention or submit it to the patent office for, for approval. And then once you got approval, that's your ticket to getting that, that idea licensed by a company or organization that has the capacity to put it into, to reality. Right. So you license the idea to Widget Co. Yep. who goes off and makes them and packages them. Yep. And in return, you get a cut of the money that they make off of it because yeah, they hold a license right. for your patent. Right. Actually, that, that works very similar to the way it works for writers and musicians who license their work to a publisher and then they right. get part of the, the profit. So, but, I mean, they're not completely dissimilar. And, and similar. What's, what's also interesting is that you can't, you don't just have the option to license patents. Right. You can actually sell a patent. Yes, you can. Because a patent is essentially property. Yes. You know, it's, it's intellectual it's, property. It's intellectual property. And just like any other property, you have the right to dispose of it as you wish. So you can sell that patent to a company. If a company wants to make a certain type of product and you hold the patent that is, uh, or a patent that is instrumental in that product getting made, mm-hmm. uh, that company might approach you and say, Hey, if we drop a truckload of cash at your front door, will you sell us this patent? And you can choose to sell it or you can choose to hold on to it. Mm, um, truckload of cash. Yeah. So, so <laughs> there are companies out there that are just in the business of buying and selling patents. That's what they do. It's almost like, it's almost like trading stocks or some other, or real estate. Really, yep. it's it's trading property, and that's their main purpose. And that's also led to some sticky situations and some name-calling in various industries, the technology industry being a, a good example. Because mm-hmm. of, clearly, technology, it's all about innovation and invention. Yep. You know, I actually thought of a, uh, uh, of a real-life example yep. of these two models. And they're actually uh, in – well, their, fo- their photos are in the room with us. Because Edison tried to, uh, he had all these inventions and he actually worked on building a company, which is, uh, you know, there was Edison General Electric. The right. version of General Electric today is not exactly, well, anyway. No, no, it's, a, it's but, a complicated, we'll have to do an episode on Edison at some point. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, he, he had a company that, you know, he built his company to make his stuff. Right. Essentially, and to wire people's homes and, and do that. Um, where Tesla actually worked with Westinghouse. Westinghouse licensed his patents mm-hmm. and together they sort of, I mean, it was like Tesla was the inventor and Westinghouse was the industrialist who built on that work. But he yeah. licensed those, those patents from and, Tesla. And there was, I mean, there was some controversy with Tesla oh. and patents. Oh yeah. Tesla held some patents that he, he was issued the patents by the United States Patent Office. And then later the patent <laughs> office overturned that decision and revoked his patents. Radio? And, yeah. And so, right. And so there's a lot of discussion about how the patent office isn't, it, it's, it's more than just a regulatory office. There's a political element that runs through this as well. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's complicated. Now, let's talk a little bit about what you have to prove in order to to uh, have a patent 
have your your invention considered for a patent to get patent approval. Okay. Um, in order for your for you to get a patent, your invention needs to be sufficiently novel. Mm-hmm. That means it has to be uh, unlike other things that came before it enough to justify a patent. Now we should also say a lot of this is subjective. You yes. know, it's it, that's another part of patents that's a little tricky. Is that you know that there aren't any. There's no real quantifiable measurement for how novel something is. Like, this is 87% novel. Therefore, it meets our threshold. Um, that's not really possible. Yeah, basically, someone is looking at these patents. It's a human, and yeah. humans are known to be subjective. And also, the you know, it's it, depending on how complex this invention is, uh, the person who's reviewing the patent may have some difficulty. Uh, deciding how novel it is compared to something else, if especially depending on the language that's being used. Uh, now, another thing that a patent that the invention must be is non-obvious to someone, uh, someone who's knowledgeable in the art is the way we say it. Okay. So, in other words, you can't patent an invention or a process that is <laughs> patently obvious. You can't do something that uh, you couldn't patent like uh, a lever and, and you're patenting the process of pulling the lever. Well, that's obvious. You can't do that. Um, and this this is a tough concept as well. And it's one that we see brought up in courts a lot where the the uh, one side will accuse another side of, you know, it, it, let's say that company A is suing company B for patent infringement and company B is contesting the patents in the first place, saying that they are patenting obvious procedures. And it's it can be really difficult to prove whether or not something is obvious, because if that particular procedure didn't exist before company A patented it, then there's an argument there that, hey, the reason why it didn't exist before is because it wasn't obvious. It's obvious now because we invented it. You know, and that's a circular argument thing. I blame the uh, the boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. Yeah, but I mean, for example, to to swipe to unlock—that's a good one to say. Right. Swipe to unlock, which is, I, I believe, Apple has that patent. I think so. For swiping to unlock on a on a touchscreen device like a smartphone or a tablet, uh, there have been. Uh, companies and lawyers who have argued that swipe to unlock is not it doesn't meet the criteria of being non-obvious but then apple would say well where was it before then <laughs> who if if it was if it if it was obvious then why were we the first to do it um at least that that's that's oversimplifying the argument by many <laughs> leaps and bounds but essentially that's what they're saying yeah i did <laughs> Working on issues like this makes me glad that I am not one of the people who has to decide whether patents get approved or not. Because it, it, in some cases, I imagine that uh, – pardon my use of this word in, in the context. It's not the same. Uh, I think for some inventions or concepts, it would be more obvious that this is something that is completely different than other things and then just having to educate yourself about what goes on with this particular thing or the yeah. software or the functionality. I'm glad I don't have to make those decisions. See, here at How Stuff Works, we write about how stuff works. But if you were to be the ideal patent regulator, you'd have to know how everything works. 
I would because, think so. Because you would have to know if the like, invention that's coming toward you, if it's just replicating something that's already out there, mm-hmm. you know, or or you would look at it and say that truly is novel. It hasn't happened before. So uh, other criteria that the invention must meet. Now, we've said it has to be new. It has to be non-obvious. Mm-hmm. It also has to be useful. Okay. The the invention has to have a use. It means that it serves some sort of purpose and it actually works. You can't patent something that does not work, mm-hmm. that can't be demonstrated to work. You also – you cannot patent any sort of uh, element that a- occurs in nature. Like you couldn't patent copper. It has to be man-made. And then uh, you have to – you can't use unproven ideas to uh, – in your patent. So anything that is contested by science, anything that, that isn't proven by science, theoretically, you should not be able to get a patent on. So, for example, uh, a perpetual motion machine should, in theory, not get a patent because science uh, tells us that such a thing is not possible, even though we still have people who pursue the the dream of creating a perpetual motion machine. Leonardo da Vinci himself tried to do this with a weighted wheel and it didn't work out for him and he actually said back the, back in the day, which I think was a Thursday, that uh, perpetual motion was an impossibility. Uh and ever since we've been, you know, still trying to do it. No one no one has proven him wrong by the way. Uh so these are the criteria that your invention must meet in order to get a patent. And it can take years from the time you apply for a patent to the time you're issued a patent. And uh, that raises the question, of, okay, well, what happens during that that span? What if someone else comes up with an invention that uses your idea and you haven't received a patent yet? Uh, that can get tricky. Sometimes when you get the patent, you can then pursue – legal threats against whomever is using that that particular idea within an invention. Um, oh, and also, if there is something called prior art, then you may not be able to get a patent. And prior art just means that there is an example of the idea you have, the invention you have, that already exists out in the wild. And it there's, you know, it has to have existed for a while and it has to have been publicized for it to for this to count. So what you're saying is that if there were um, someone who filed for a patent yeah. and somebody comes along and says, no, I, I came up with that idea two months before uh, before you did, and they had sketched it out on a napkin. That and, would not count. And published it somewhere. Uh, if where it like was published, it, maybe. You know. And it would have to be more than two months. I think it, I think the minimum is at least a year. Okay. But let's say that uh, – Let's say that, that I patent an invention and, or I try to patent an invention, but it's discovered that there was a magazine article that had a prototype device, uh, uh, detailed in that magazine and that prototype device closely resembles my patent to the, the, the application, the invention that I'm applying for a patent. Mm-hmm. That the two things are very similar. Right. Uh, that would, could be an example of prior art. And if I were to try and get a patent and someone could, uh, prove that this other device essentially does the same thing that my idea does, mm-hmm. uh, my patent might be, uh, invalid. Right. Okay. So, uh, do you happen to know just, can you guess who in human history holds the most patents in, or at least in the United States? Hmm. It's not Steve Jobs. No, older. Go go further back. I think a lot of people would would be sitting here going, 
No, say Edison. Edison. I would be who I would guess. Yes. 1,093 patents. That's not the patents. Yeah. Second place uh, goes to someone else. So tell me, <laughs> if you can tell me who is in second place, and I'll give you a hint. It can be found in how patents work. But if you can let me know, that'd be awesome because it proves that you're actually paying attention and not just falling asleep to tech stuff. We love you guys, by the way. We hope you have pleasant dreams. Huh? Uh, anyway, yeah, Chris, you, know, you, you, however, are not allowed to go back to sleep. Oh, darn it. So now we've covered the basics of what a patent is, what it does, and why you would want one. And and patents secure your uh, your rights to that idea for a limited amount of time, mm-hmm. right? You, you can't hold – That's the idea. Yeah, you don't hold a patent in perpetuity. It doesn't last forever. It'll last for a certain number of years, and it all depends on where you live in the world. Like the different patent laws are – or have different amounts of time where your patent is protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ideally, during that time, no one would be able to infringe upon your patent without the the threat of a lawsuit. Now, keep in mind, a patent doesn't automatically protect you from someone infringing on your idea. The patent just gives you a recourse if someone does infringe on your idea. That's right. And patent lawsuits are really expensive. So if you are an independent inventor and you do not license your idea out, and you don't have a lot of resources at your disposal, and someone starts to infringe upon your idea, you, you might be out of luck because you might not have the money to pursue a lawsuit. And uh, some would argue, well, this helps license out ideas, and it means that those ideas will actually uh, propagate through society because you know you've got an incentive to share your idea. Now you're sharing it for money. You're, you're licensing it. And it means that uh, that we all benefit as a result because this idea gets actually put into use as opposed to let's say I never patent my idea. Mm-hmm. Let's say I never share my idea. Well, then no one benefits from it. That So the, the idea of the patent office is really to encourage people to share their ideas. It's just that it hasn't always worked out that way. And that's what leads us to the patent wars. Yeah. And this has come up a lot recently, especially with. Um, Google's acquisition of Motorola and the battles going on between Apple and HTC and uh, Microsoft and some of the others. Yep. And uh, we've had several people mention this to us. And mm-hmm. I've seen comments on, on our uh, Facebook yep. page um, about one company or another being a brat, basically. Right. This isn't, by any stretch of the imagination, something that just started happening. No, no. It's it's getting a lot more publicity now. Right. Because it, the, the companies are that are involved are big consumer companies in one way or another. They may not directly create consumer products because you would say that, all right, well, Google doesn't yet make anything specific for consumers, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do provide the operating system that gets used in a lot of consumer products. So you would say, well, this is still kind of a consumer issue. That That's probably why the publicity is so big. But these sort of things have been going on in behind the scenes for, for decades. It's just that now it's really coming to a head as companies fight over each other to try and, and buy up other companies just not just to, but primarily to get hold of the the patent portfolio that that company might have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the reason to get patent portfo- portfolios, there's there are two two re- main reasons that a a company that's a practicing entity might want to get hold of a patent portfolio. Okay. Uh, the main one is defense, which is you get 
as many patents as you can so that if another company comes after you claiming that you're infringing upon their intellectual property, you can return fire and say, well, this is the intellectual property we own and you are in turn infringing upon that. And hopefully what happens as a result of this is the two companies through arbitration and probably litigation come to an agreement where both sides say, all right, I – I'm totally stealing ideas A through G and you're totally stealing ideas uh, H through R and we will ha- exchange this amount of money and then say we're all cool. Truce. Detente. Right. And if you – if now, if you have one major company that doesn't hold a lot of patents and another company that does hold patents, then the – What's going to happen is you just uh, – the, the company that holds a lot of patents is going to sue the other major company for money. And you don't – if you don't have your own large patent portfolio to fall back on as a, sort of a, a mutually assured destruction kind of approach, uh, you, you get run over. You know, you, you essentially – unless the, the uh, courts decide otherwise, you essentially have to cough up money and you may or may not have to even discontinue the production of certain products. Yep. And so that's kind of why we see these big companies scooping up uh, smaller companies in order to get patents. Sometimes it's for protection. Sometimes it's with an eye to go after a competitor and perhaps put that competitor in a uh, in a, uh, a bad position. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's almost anti-competitive when you get down to it. And as a result, you have a lot of people saying, well, this is really stifling innovation because by – Going after another company and saying that uh, you can't make any of this because this part of it infringes upon our patents, uh, you you're taking away things that are actually valuable in the marketplace. And it may very well be true that let's say that we have a, an operating system. That's a good one to go with. Okay, we're going to get into the software patents anyway. So you have an operating system where one aspect of that operating system appears to infringe upon a patent. Right. Well, depending on how the lawsuit is worded and, and the decision of the courts, that operating system might end up having to be completely scrapped or rewritten or uh, taken off the market, which means you lose everything. You don't just lose that one element that was infringing upon the patent. You lose all the other elements of that operating system. So you're losing out on innovation. Mm-hmm. This is why we're getting a lot of criticism directed at these patent wars and another related uh, element is that there are companies that some people refer to as patent trolls, ah, which yes. is a it's a complicated that's a complicated uh, term as well because it means more than one thing. Yeah, right? when I think of that, I um, and this is again just one concept of this, yeah. but um, when I think of a patent troll, I think of a company that has purchased patents from someone else. Basically, they had some money up front, they bought yeah. patent rights. Yep, they don't do anything but license patents. And they are basically hoping somebody will infringe upon them so that they can sue the living daylights out of them and make money that way. Right. But they don't it's it's not like a, somebody not like Apple anything. where they are making an an iPhone. Right, right. And they are doing that and somebody else infringes on the patent. This is somebody in my head, the classical patent troll yep. is literally just waiting for somebody to Infringe on their patents so they can take a shot at them. Right. That's that's usually called a non-practicing entity. Right. And that means that this is a company uh, that does not have any intent on acting upon a patent other nope. other than to sue the pants off anyone who infringes on it. Yeah. So they have no plans not- on actually making anything. Nope. Just the plan on 
on suing someone who tries to make something similar to it. Mm-hmm. And they may not even have plans to license that idea out because they could potentially make more money uh-huh. through suing a company than they could through licensing the pat- the patented invention. Yep. This is why uh, – there's a, an amazing article called The Broken Patent System, How We Got Here and How to Fix It by Nilay Patel, mm-hmm. who, who, formerly of Engadget, now of uh, This Is My Next. I highly recommend you read this article. Yeah. It is a long article, but it's it's very comprehensive. And Nilay makes a great case for he, – he actually says, you know, the patent system isn't broken. We're the ones who just kind of are broken because we're not using it the way it was designed to be used. People are gaming the system. People are gaming the system. And that uh, that really, you know, you have to ask the right questions and see how things are being used in order to understand why we are where we're at. Neelai suggests that perhaps one thing we could look at is – Maybe we do break out software patents so they're a little different from the traditional patents in mm-hmm. that software patents might last uh, – uh, they're, they're, the time span might be shorter mm-hmm. for a software patent. Like you couldn't sit on it as long as you would a patent for an, an a physical invention and uh, because the nature of software changes so rapidly right. that by the time a patent – Expires and that idea becomes essentially free for anyone to use, uh, to implement in their own inventions. Once you reach that point, well, software has evolved so far that it's almost obsolete anyway. So that's one thing that Neelai suggests, but he also suggests looking at a way so that people who use patents to sue other companies can only get a limited amount of money in damages. Mm-hmm. You know, so putting limits on how much money you can get through suing someone for a patent. And that, in Neelai's argument, uh, would mean that companies would have more of an incentive to license that invention than they would to sit on the patents and just sue people. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want. We want people to be able to license things. We we don't want to get rid of patents because it does protect people um, so that they can profit from their work. What we do want to do is make sure that we – create incentives so that people will license those ideas so that we actually get to see them in, put into place and we get to benefit from those ideas instead of using those ideas just as a weapon to beat other companies over the head. Because then if even if the idea is brilliant, no one gets to benefit from it mm-hmm. because no one can make anything that incorporates that idea. Right. So I think Neelai's really nailed it. I mm-hmm. mean, it was mm-hmm. a, it's a great article. And uh, – he also brings up something else that's really interesting, um, and uh, I'm dropping this on Chris without him knowing, so uh, I, I apologize ahead of time. But do you are you aware of a uh, of Jefferson's past with the patent office? Yes. Oh, okay, excellent, excellent. So we can have a conversation about this as well. You may not be aware. All right, Thomas Jefferson had some <clears throat> pretty strong ideas about patents. The patent system predates the founding of the United States. There was a patent system in place in the UK. Right, right. Well, it's like... Britain, I guess I should say. Right. Well, that there's some protection written into the Constitution. And, of course, Jefferson himself was an inventor. Right. So he, you know, sort of sympathizes with, with people who are creating things. Yeah. So here's something that Jefferson said about the idea of patents. 
If nature has made any one thing less susceptible than all others of exclusive property, it is the action of the thinking power called an idea, which an individual may exclusively possess as long as he keeps it to himself. But the moment it is divulged, it forces itself into the possession of everyone, and the receiver cannot dispossess himself of it. Its peculiar character, too, is that no one possesses the less, because every other possesses the whole of it. He who receives an idea from me receives instruction himself without lessening mine, as he who lights his taper at mine receives light without darkening me. So what he's saying is that. If you keep an idea to yourself, that's the only way to really protect it. Because once you tell your idea to someone else, it's out there in the open. Yep. So Jefferson was essentially saying information wants to be free. Yeah. Which is what we argued today, too, that information wants to be free and that it wants to be available, not necessarily free of charge. So Jefferson's idea about patents was that they might stifle innovation, that it would keep people from actually putting to use these devices. However, he became the uh, Secretary of State and was therefore part of a a three-man board that created the first Patent Act. Yes. And he eventually came around to the idea that patents are actually very helpful. Now, in Jefferson's Patent Act, he had uh, he had set up some of the criteria that we use today. And some of it we don't used to the extent that Jefferson saw. So he, he had said that the invention must prove to be useful. Uh, it wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't grant a patent to someone who had just come up with, um, another use for something that already existed. So let's say I invent a tool that allows me to, I don't know, climb mountains faster and safer. And then Chris takes that tool and he realizes, Hey, this tool is great as a penguin pacifier. And so he's using it in a totally different way than I was. Well, by Jefferson's measurement, his penguin pacification system would not, would not, uh, uh, be legitimate for a patent because it was just a different application of something that I had already made. Right. Uh, that's not exactly the way it's done now. That was one of the ideas that kind of got uh, shifted around a little bit. And then uh, it would you also would not uh, give an invention a patent if the invention was just a different version of something that came before but was made with different materials. So if I made my mountain climbing uh, apparatus out of um, wood and then Chris decided to make his own mountain climbing apparatus that's identical to mine except it's made out of metal, that would not receive a patent either under Jefferson's rules mm-hmm. because, again, it's the same thing. It's just made out of different stuff. And he didn't like the idea of frivolous patents, uh, anything that was uh, uh, obvious or something that couldn't really be used. Uh, he didn't like any of that, so he made provisions to protect the patent office from issuing patents for stuff that just was not useful. And uh, he ended up – his ideas were implemented for a while, but they were revised in the 1800s. So – and the, the revisions from the 1800s are pretty much what we use now. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's also part of why it's complicated when you talk about software because, of course, back in the 1800s, software was pretty limited. <laughs> I That's think true. Tandy might have had something Tandy. back in the 1800s. No. Um, no. So, the, yeah, you didn't have software back then. So trying to apply software, the ideas of behind software to the patent office and the uh, the actual patent system is a little tricky. We've made some tweaks here and there, but it's still not a perfect fit. 
And part of that is that there's an argument about software should not be eligible for patents because it's essentially math. Mm -hmm. And math is something that's not patentable. Right. So if you were to try and patent software, you can't use the word algorithm because algorithms are not patentable. Because they're math. Yeah. So you have to actually dance around that. You can't, you know, instead of calling it uh, a uh, an algorithm, you'd call it something else, like a system. <laughs> you know, a system and method is what you would call it, as, as opposed to an algorithm. Uh, and that's where it really does get tricky, because arguably you'd say, well, if it's basically just math, then how do you call it non-obvious? Because you know, y- y- you just ma- manipulate the math until it does what you need it to do. Of course, other people could argue, well, any invention, if you, if you were to take a, a software application and create a physical object that does that same process, whatever that process might be, then you would argue that that invention could be patentable. That physical thing, you could get a patent for that. Why can't you get a patent for the digital version of that idea? Mm-hmm. And so these are questions that still get brought up in legal cases all the time. It's generally accepted that software, if presented properly, is patentable. Um, but that's also where we're starting to see these issues come between these major companies where there's so many software patents that have been issued that, you know, that's why we're seeing like a company A sues company B, company B countersues company A, and then mm-hmm. they come to an agreement. Mm-hmm. What a mess. It's a huge mess. And, you know, it may be that we eventually catch up and, and, and fix some of these problems. Part of the issue also is that software patents are really complex things. And it's, I can't imagine what it's like being a, a person working in the patent office and having to review software patents. Yeah. Um, and some, some would argue that software patents are just, it's, it's a technology that's more sophisticated than the general level of sophistication of the patent office. And that the patent office will constantly be trying to play catch up and never catch up to Actually, the, the state of the art for software because technological innovation is happening so rapidly. Mm-hmm. So there are definitely some, uh, <laughs> some, some big barriers that we're going to have to get over in order to really address patent wars and make it a system that, uh, that doesn't harm innovation. It doesn't hurt the end consumer. Um, I think we're, we're kind of looking at the, those possibilities. We're seeing some of that. Today, but it's going to take some years before we. Government does not move quickly. No, and these these issues are, to some degree, pretty complex. Sure, really, the the concepts behind them. Yeah. So, and and you can't just throw it out the door. I mean, if you did, then no one's ideas would be protected. And why would anyone bother to try and innovate if they knew that immediately they that their hard work would be. co-opted by someone else and they wouldn't see a dime. So you want to have that patent system in place because you want you want people to come up with ideas. I'm looking at you, Widget Co. Yep. Oh, why I oughta. <laughs> Let me tell you, Acme has tons of patents, especially for Roadrunner captures uh, uh, materials, although they're not proven to be useful, so it's kind of questionable why they got the patents in the first place. Not for use by coyotes. There you go. 
Well, uh, do you have anything else to add before we wrap up? Nope. All right. So that concludes our episode on the patent wars. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, that was an interesting conversation. If you guys have any topics you would like us to tackle, you can let us know on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle at both of those is techstuffhsw. Or you can send us an email, and that address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. We all can't help but wonder what adventure lies just over the next ridge. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.